0: Our sermon text today from Romans 2 is going to have to do with um, how God's law applies equally to Jews and Gentiles. And how it applies um, equally uh, to us even when we are um, applying it to others without seeing our own sin. And there's a classic example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, after David has committed his great sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, and he is confronted by the prophet Nathan. Let's read from 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 10. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Amen. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 2. We'll read the first 11 verses of the chapter. Romans chapter 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. <clears throat> Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may remember from a few years ago when the big uh, college admissions scandal story broke. Uh, back in 2019, there was this uh, college admissions consultant is what he called himself. His name was Rick Singer. And he had this scheme for helping parents who had a lot of money uh, to use bribery and deception of many different kinds to get their kids into the colleges that they wanted to go to. And um, dozens of people ended up getting convicted of crimes. Um, And if you're following the story, when it first came out, you probably remember the feeling just of disgust. How could something like this happen? Of course, we know how something like this could happen. It's nothing new. People who know the rules just deciding to act as though the rules don't apply to them. We often feel like maybe Lady Justice is peeking over her blindfold a little bit. And for a while, it seemed like these people were going to get away with it until eventually that long arm of the law caught up with them, at least with some of them, and some of them at least found out the hard way that the rules did apply to them after all. Now, it's easy for us to look kind of out there at an obvious case of flagrant corruption among the rich and powerful and get all disgusted and indignant and, ah, those people. But we need to understand that Tendency to see ourselves as a special case, above critique, above accountability. That's a very powerful and deceiving and dangerous impulse that comes very, very naturally. We need to be warned against. We need to be on guard against, especially because when we're living it out, that's when we can see it. We can't. That's when we can't see it in ourselves because we feel like we're right, even though we're not. That's part of what today's passage is about, and we're going to look at a, at this passage in three parts this morning. First will be practicing what we preach against, practicing what we preach against, verses 1 through 3. Second will be presuming on God's patience, verse 4, and third will be sinners in the hands of an impartial God, okay, so practicing what we preach against, presuming on God's patience. and Sinners in the hands of an impartial God. All right, now in the, in the last verse of chapter 1, Paul describes people who not only do things that are wrong, but they actually give approval to other people who do the same kinds of things. Their, their thinking has become so futile, their foolish arts have become so darkened, verse 21, that they have actually gotten to the point of looking at things that are evil and with a straight face, calling them good. Even though, verse 32, they know that isn't true, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Now, that's pretty bad, right? That's pretty bad that things have, in general, have gotten to this point where people are encouraging and celebrating things that they know are wrong. That kind of rebellion is inexcusable. Remember chapter 1, verse 20, so they are without excuse. But now Paul's going on to tell us about another way of sinning that is also inexcusable, even though it's different from what he's described so far. Another category of people Paul is looking to expose here as equally condemned under the law. And it's the kind of person who knows what God's law says not only from that inward sense of conscience that all people share, He's talking about people who have access to the written word of the scriptures. And in particular, they have access to the, the law with a capital L, you might say, the law of Moses. And here's what happens. People who have the law of Moses can, can say, oh, look, I have the law of Moses. And now that I have the law of Moses, I can go around everybody else around me and say, mm, let's look at your life and see how it measures up with this, this law that I have in my hand. Aren't I special that I have the law of Moses to critique you by? This is in clear contrast with verse 32 of the previous chapter, right up above. So the people in chapter 2 now, these people are not giving approval to sin. They are passing judgment against sin. And perhaps rightly so, right? Um, You might say, well, that's good, right? uh, We should uh, boldly be very willing to say what God's law says about sin. And that's true. What Paul is warning against here is not telling the truth about sin. That's what we should do. What he's warning against is failing to tell the whole truth about sin. Remember that justice requires not just telling the truth, but telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. This person that Paul has in mind is telling half-truths. Telling half-truths. Therefore, you have no excuse. You, can, you could kind of hear an implied either there. You have no excuse either. Every one of you who goes around judging other people because you're practicing the very same things that you're judging in others. You look around at the people around you and you think, wow, they are so bad. Can't believe people are acting this way against the law of God. You have this practiced sense of moral outrage. Just look at what these people are doing. Can you believe it? Sometimes it's personal too. Look at what these people have done to me. Can you believe it? You're wielding the law of God, then, like a searchlight. You're shining it around the prison camp, like in the Great Escape, you know, in nighttime. But who's the one person that you're not shining it at? It's yourself. You're not letting that light shine on you and your sin. Now, Paul is not denying what you're seeing in the searchlight out there. The searchlight of the law reveals the truth wherever it shines, uh, today, it's very popular for people to quote Jesus, of course, where he says, Judge not, lest you also be judged. Saying, so we shouldn't call people sinners. We shouldn't tell people that they're wrong. We should just love them unconditionally. And Jesus wouldn't want us to, 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 to say that they're wrong because that's somehow not nice or it's too judgy. That's not what Jesus means there. Jesus in that passage is making basically the same point that Paul is making in this passage. Jesus is not telling us to shade the truth, to hold back from the truth. He's trying to get us to tell the whole truth, not to engage in these half-truths of only seeing the sin in others and ignoring the sin in ourselves. He's not telling us to ignore the law of God or to have a more squishy, more relaxed standard any more than Paul is. What he's warning us against is a double standard a double standard that leads to self-righteousness and arrogance when we compare ourselves with others, with other sinners. And Paul is issuing the same warning here. He's not criticizing God's law here as though, oh, God's law, you know, it's too harsh, it's too strict, and now we've moved past that in the New Testament or something like that. No, it's nothing like that. He's not relaxing God's law at all, as you can tell from this whole context of the first three chapters of Romans. And neither was Jesus. It's actually the opposite. Paul is reminding us God's law applies equally to everyone, including you. That's the point. We know, he says, that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And in fact, everybody knows that whether they admit it or not, he says. We know that. But what about you? Do you suppose, O oh man, do you, you who judge, those who practice such things and yet do them yourself. Do you suppose that you are somehow going to escape the judgment of God? Now I want to give you some insight historically into what's kind of in the back of Paul's mind here. What he has in mind is is an attitude that was very common in first century Judaism. Uh, Judaism as a religion and also as a cultural identity where people defined themselves in contrast with the Gentile world. We are not Gentiles. We are special. We are God's people. And because of that, God is going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us because we're Jews, because we're Israelites. After all, we have the law. Doesn't that make us special? We have the law of Moses and the Gentiles don't. Doesn't that automatically make us better than them? And Paul is saying, that's absurd. Just having the law of Moses, just knowing it, that doesn't do you any good if you're not keeping it. Proximity to the law is not at all the same thing as practicing the law. Getting very close to holy things does not make a person holy. If anything, it puts you in greater spiritual danger because you're all the more accountable For what you know so well. Paul is concerned about his fellow Jews, fellow Israelites. Of course, he was one of them who thought God's judgment is for the Gentile world, and his salvation is for the Jewish world. And so, because I'm part of this world, I'm covered, I'm good. God's judgment is not going to touch me because I'm in this inner circle of God's favor. We have the law, so we can look out there and we can point our finger at the Gentile world and we can feel really good about ourselves in comparison. But Paul's saying, What leads you to think that God's judgment is only for the Gentiles, that your Israelite status somehow exempts you from it? After all, the whole story of the Old Testament, really, that whole Old Testament history is about the people of Israel being judged by God on the very basis of his covenant relationship with them. By the terms of that covenant relationship, that covenant connection that brought them so close to God is precisely what made them responsible, not less responsible, not less accountable, but more responsible, more accountable to the law of God because they knew it so well and because he had done so much for them in redeeming them from Egypt and all these things. And so Paul is saying, don't, don't think that just being a covenant insider exempts you from consequences if you break God's law. It's not enough to pay lip service to it. Say, oh, yeah, the law is great. We love the law. Those Gentiles are terrible for not having the law and not keeping it. Paul's saying, but what about you? Have you kept this law that you love so much, that you say you love so much? Because if not, then all of your criticisms against those people out there, they may be true, but they cut both ways. And as you point that one finger Probably it's something that really is wrong. You've got those three fingers pointing back at you. It's the old cliché, but it's a really good one. It's true. And passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. The law cuts both ways. Okay, so to that, someone might reply, Well, Paul, I don't see any lightning bolts coming from the sky. My life is going pretty well. God's not judging me. What what judgment are you talking about? What condemnation? I I think I'm fine. I think that God approves of me just the way I am. Well, Paul has an answer to that as well in verse 4. Presuming on God's patience is our second point. When 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 a person deserves judgment from God, when a person deserves condemnation, that judgment, that condemnation does not always fall right away. Sometimes that judgment is delayed. And it is delayed for a reason, Paul says. And it is because of a further aspect of God's character. God is patient. God is patient. So often in the Bible you find the Lord giving sinners everything. Opportunity to repent, every opportunity to turn away from their sin and turn to Him. Uh, for example, in Second Kings, right before the, or uh, describes when Israel and Judah go into exile, it describes how um, God had plenty of reason to send Israel into exile a lot sooner than He did, but He waited. He sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. He kept pursuing them. He kept calling them back. He kept giving them these opportunities to repent. Turn away from your sin. Come back to me. Don't harden your hearts. And some of them listened, that faithful remnant. But by and large, the nation as a whole did not. They did not listen. And eventually, that judgment did fall. And when it fell, it was a catastrophic judgment. It was delayed for a while, but not Forever. That delay did not mean that the judgment was not real. It just meant that God was being patient, that he was leaving open for a time, a window of opportunity to turn. So the message here is don't assume that just because life is pretty good for you, because you have no major problems, because you don't feel like you're under God's judgment, that therefore God must approve of you. Paul's saying, don't don't you see how patient God is being with you? Look at his kindness. Look at his forbearance. Look at everything he has put up with from you. You see, you can't presume on that patience of God. The fact that judgment is delayed does not mean it's not coming. And just like the flood did come after many decades of Noah building the ark, just like the exile did come for Israel and Judah after many decades of God sending them prophets. In the same way, Jesus says, I'm coming back in an hour that you don't expect. The window of opportunity for faith and repentance is finite and it is closing. It is finite and it is closing. Every moment it is getting shorter. You don't know how long Long it is, because we don't know where the end point is, but we know that it's getting shorter at every moment. So don't presume on the patience of God. That patience is there for this reason, to motivate you, to move you, to lead you, Paul says, to repentance. For you to see how kind and patient God has been with you, how he's treated you so graciously, how he's given you so much less than what your sins deserve so that you would be convicted by that, so you'd be humbled by it, so you'd be amazed by his goodness to you, and say, oh Lord, I want to leave this sin behind. I want to be fully yours, freely forgiven through Christ. But, of course, this person Paul is picturing is spending that window of time in precisely the opposite way. This person is just racking up their debt of sin higher and higher and higher. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. They're stocking up on judgment like it's on sale. They're piling guilt upon guilt because they're missing the point of this window of opportunity that God has given to sinners before the judgment comes. See, God's judgment is an equal opportunity judgment. That's the title of the sermon for this morning. An equal opportunity judgment. God does not discriminate on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, physical or mental disability, or age, as the employers always put it on their notices. Equal opportunity employers. Uh, Notice I left religion on that list. You might think, oh, you should have left religion off the list, because of course if you're a Christian, well... Listen, it's just as possible, just as dangerous for professing professing Christians to carve out these exemptions for themselves, exemptions from the scrutiny of God's law. It's just as possible for us to do that as it was for the Jews of Paul's day, who had the true religion of their day. They were part of that true religion. But, see, proximity to the church, having a religious identity adopting the outward trappings of Christianity, talking like a religious person, having religious friends, going to church on a regular basis, none of those things exempt you from the scrutiny of the law of God, from being accountable to its full weight. None of those soften the requirements of the law of God for us. Being a religious person, even having the name of Christian, does not opt you out from the judgment of God. God's judgment is an equal opportunity judgment that all people must face, and there are no excuses and no exceptions. God, Paul says, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality, no exceptions, no turning a blind eye just because you're a part of a certain community. Jews and Gentiles alike are accountable to the law of God. What Paul is talking about here we describe in theological terms as the covenant of works. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden, where God told Adam, on the day you eat of that forbidden tree, you will surely die. And on the other hand, if you obey, well, there's the tree of life. It's this fork in the road. Obedience and life, or rebellion and death. And Paul is building, in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans, his case, his argument, That all people, the whole human race, is on that fork of rebellion and death. It's not that Israel is on one path and the Gentiles are on the other. He's trying to show that Jews and Gentiles alike have gone the wrong way and are equally condemned by the same law of God and are equally in need of the salvation that Jesus Christ alone can give them. Jesus, who did obey. Jesus, who did not deserve judgment. And yet, and yet he underwent the judgment in our place. He was condemned so that we might be forgiven. So that's the gospel that's coming. We're going to get to Romans 8. We're going to get to how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus first we have to understand where we all begin. We all start out equally condemned by the same law of God and its requirement of perfect obedience that we simply cannot fulfill and have not fulfilled no matter who we are and that only Christ can. Okay, a couple takeaways before we close. First of all, beware Beware of looking so hard at other people's sin that you miss your own and forget your own need of Christ. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that you shouldn't call a spade a spade. You shouldn't point out the great sins and evils of our day, that you should ignore sin and evil in other people, be just be nicer and not, not use those hard legal words of the Bible. No, that The need these days is as great as ever for God's people to speak clearly and with conviction about the law of God and to call sin and error, sin and error, in the world, in the church alike. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to tell you to tiptoe around and neglect that prophetic voice that we need to have in our culture. What I'm telling you is that same law of God applies to you too. And there is a persistent and powerful temptation to forget that and to minimize and downplay and excuse and justify our own sin, the sin in our heart, our life. To shine that spotlight around the prison grounds at everybody else except for ourselves. And if somebody tries to shine it on us, maybe a family member, maybe a Christian friend, maybe the church. got to watch out for that tendency to get angry. Self-justifying, self-righteous. got to beware of that hypocrisy. Beware of that double standard. And don't ever think that just because you're a religious person that you can therefore give yourself more leeway about obeying the law of God as though somehow the rules don't apply to you. So dangerous spiritually for you. Don't do it. Second thing is don't ever presume on God's patience. Paul tells you here why God is patient with you. God's patience is meant to lead you to repentance, not to make you more relaxed about your sin. So don't waste that opportunity. Seek the Lord while he may be found, as Isaiah fifty five says. Call upon him while he is near. God will abundantly pardon, but only if you turn, only if you repent, that window will not be open forever. It is finite and it is closing. I'll never forget that. And that's why finally we need to take seriously take seriously the coming judgment. No matter who you are. No matter how you might try to think, but but I'm probably okay. You've got to understand, all men and women and boys and girls, without exception, stand condemned before God for breaking His law. And our only hope that any of us have is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and take refuge in Him his perfect obedience so that we can find ourselves forgiven and safe and welcomed and restored when the judgment comes. We need him. We love him. And may the Lord help us never to forget that need. Okay, so Let's pray. Our Father and our God, forgive us, we pray, for those times when we are willing to wield the law against others and try to act like it doesn't apply to us. Lord hypocrisy is one of the most serious sins there is. Protect us against it, Lord. Help us to walk in the light. And be happy for our deeds to be exposed so that they can be forgiven and cleansed away in Christ.